Hello. I'm hoping there's more of you outside. <laughs> but if not, we're going to have a really uh, intimate time of worship together this morning. Um, I'm just going to warn you, and if folks continue to trickle in without hearing this, they're going to be really confused about what's going on today, um, but hopefully in a good way. Uh, we are going to be, we, we have restructured our worship service this morning. So worship is going to look totally different today. Hope you're okay with that. Are you ready for something different? It's going to be, depends on what it is I feel like I heard maybe. No. <laughs> um, it's going to look different though, but listen, um, I'm going to get the really boring stuff out of the way and then we're going to move into it, okay? So we're starting with announcements today, Okay. Uh, I want you to have some of these in mind, especially those that pertain to you. Uh, here's what's going on in the life of the church coming up this month, okay? So mosaic baby bottles are due back today. Hopefully you were prepared for that. If not, we will, of course, continue to collect those as you bring them. We will not say no to you bringing those back. So if you haven't brought it back today, just bring it back. You could drop it by the office this week, or um, I think it'd be okay if we got that next Sunday as well. Uh, it is February, and we mentioned this last week. It's going to be, uh, this month, we're going to be collecting for the alabaster offering. We'll be taking that all month long. The box is in the foyer, so um, if you have that, bring that with you sometime this month if you haven't already. Uh, we are quickly approaching the season of Lent. Um, we are just a few weeks away from the season of Lent, if you can believe that. Uh, we are doing um, the series with um, the Church of the Nazarene curriculum this year. It was I looked at it ahead of time. I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, spoke to me, and so we are going to be doing that again, which means we're going to have devotionals for you to purchase if you would like. Those will be $6, and you can see Karen to grab one of those. Again, I'm really excited. I think this is going to be a really good series leading up to uh, Easter. So just have that in mind. Okay, we've got some fellowship events coming up this week. So ladies, this one's for you. If you are available on Tuesday morning, that is Valentine's Day, at 9 a.m., we are going to be meeting for breakfast at Bob Evans. That's in Fairview Heights. Let us know if you need more specific details. Um, men, the men are going to be gathering for breakfast this coming Saturday, February 18th at 8 a.m. That's going to be in the fellowship hall. And then another opportunity for, for ladies, especially those who are not available in the morning um, on a weekday, we are going to be gathering on February 21st at 6 p.m. here at the church. Um, if you've not already been approached yet, please sign up if you're interested and able to come. And we're going to be bringing some soups and salads. Uh, so let us know what you can bring. But mostly, we're just looking forward to gathering together as ladies on a regular basis. And then finally, um, Ash Wednesday service will be held February 22nd here at the church at 6.30 p.m. Looking forward to that as we enter into the season of Lent in a few weeks. All right, as I uh, shared with you, the service is structured a little different today. We are talking about um, the deserted discipline of worship. Uh, I'll get into it a little bit more during the sermon um, about why or why not you might consider that a deserted discipline. Um, but I just have to tell you, I'm finding it very overwhelming this week that we are talking about worship, and Nikki and I have just been prayerfully collaborating on how we can 
uh, approach worship differently this week as we talk about worship. And I have been completely overwhelmed to hear what's happening um, at Asbury College. I don't know if any of you guys have heard what's going on at Asbury College, but there is a legitimate revival that is taking place on the campus in the chapel at Asbury College in Kentucky. Um, It's incredible. If you have time later, I want you to go Google or YouTube Asbury Revival 2023. Um, It's just been beautiful. It started Wednesday night after a chapel service, and to my knowledge, it hasn't stopped. Um, It's really incredible. And so I just was thinking about that as I was preparing for worship this morning, and I have just found myself overwhelmed and hungry for God. Um, We're not trying to conjure up anything here, but I just wanted to acknowledge what God is doing uh, in a church, in a chapel that's not far away from here. I have a clip here I want to share with you if you haven't seen that yet. Listen, you guys, I don't know what your opinions are on Gen Z. I have a feeling that some of you guys probably have strong opinions and you're worried about the future of the church and where it's going and and, and what's going to happen with these future younger generations. And I am just here to tell you, God is moving in that generation because what you just saw is a bunch of young Gen Z college students who are overwhelmed and and hungry for a fresh move of God. And for whatever reason, he is blessing it. And so God is on the move. God is not done. He is not standing idly by. He's not even waiting to come and rescue the world that's going to hell in a handbasket. God is moving, and, and, and what I was convicted of is, is as a longtime church person who's getting a little older, right? Like, I'm, I'm, as I, you know, get older and see, I, I think it's easy to feel overwhelmed about, like, what is going to happen? Like, what is happening to the church? What, what does the future of the church look like? And this week, I was just so humbled and thankful to see, like, I don't want to miss that, I don't want to miss that. I want to be open to how God is moving in this generation. And so I just wanted to share that with you in case you've missed it. I think everybody should just be paying attention to that. And and I hoped that it would stir something within us this morning to just be open, open to what God wants to do here and now, because I believe if we come hungry and open and ready to receive, God is going to show up and bless that. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to open up with a word of prayer. I just want you to take a deep breath and just focus 
on the holy God you showed up to worship this morning. Maybe even if you feel led to just open up your hands as a posture of openness, as a, as a symbol of, of openness to God. God, I don't know where everyone is in their heart this morning. I don't know, God, if we just showed up today out of obligation or duty or because people might wonder where I am and so I need to go to church. I don't know, God, if we showed up just to check a box today. God, I don't know if we showed up expecting something and and we're going to get something completely different. God, there's a lot of people who were not able to show up today. But God, I am overwhelmed to say the least. And I am so hungry and desperate for more of you. And God, as I see what you are doing In this generation coming up behind me, God, as I see what you are doing at Asbury College, I am just hungry for more of you. And God, we don't expect you to do the exact same thing here that you're doing there. God, if you wanted to, then we would be so excited. But God, whatever it means and looks like for us here and now today, we simply say, come Holy Spirit come. God, we are open. We sit or stand before you this morning and we are open. God, if there's anyone here who who is feeling resistant, who is not feeling open, God, I just pray that you would draw near, press in, and you would help us to be open to you. Lord, you are welcome here. May your spirit not be grieved or pushed out. May you be free to move how you want to and to do what you want to here today. God, we are here to worship you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 146 this morning. It's just going to continue to be different, so just go with it. It's fine. We're going to open with this call to worship. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. 
He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's do that.
Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Don't worry. We're not done. <laughs> different. Okay? It's different. It's different. Um, we talked about worship last year. We had a discipleship series around this exact time last year. I'm learning a rhythm about myself that uh, I'm finding my preaching rhythm, and at certain times of the year, I'm feeling drawn and led to preach on certain things, and so apparently it's just something I do at the beginning of the year as we are starting a new year, perhaps a new season of life. I'm wanting to refocus and recenter ourselves before God in, in efforts of discipleship and growing spiritually, um, because that's what's happened already this at the beginning of this year. And so you may remember that this time, like almost exactly a year ago today, we talked about worship as a, uh, as an, a fruit of a disciple, of an organic disciple of Jesus. Remember that series? Uh, and so I, I definitely don't want to repeat that message. And I, my heart is is going in a completely different direction than where I was going last year with that sermon. But I do think there are a few things worth repeating that we talked about last year when it comes to worship. Reminders for us as we continue to open ourselves up before God. One of those things is that, friends, worship is not about us. I wonder if you really believe that. Worship is not about us. It's not about you. You might feel really offended that I'm saying that right now to you. You might feel a little bit like, hey, hey, hey. Right? But worship is not about you. It's not about your personal preference. It's not about me. It's not about what song I want to sing or, or which particular vibe of a worship service gets me feeling certain things. Right? Worship is always about God. Worship is always about God and should always be about God. And if worship is about anything else and not completely about us just showing up open to God and ready for what he's going to do, then we need to go back, go back where you came from and start over again, right? Go back out to the parking lot. Go back. It, it should always be about God. It's not about what I'm showing up to church and expecting today. The only thing you should show up and expect on a Sunday morning is a presence and a fresh wave and move of the Holy Spirit. This is about God. It's not about us. And I just think we have to start there. Another thing I would recall from last, year, last year's sermon on worship is that worship is not just limited to what we do here. Worship is not just about singing songs, right? We live our lives in worship to God, meaning everything you do, every moment of every day ought to be lived in the reality of, of who God is and who you are because of who God is, right? And so everything you do essentially is an act of worship before God. And if you really lived like that was true, then... You're probably thinking, well, that ought to mean that our lives look different, right? Our lives ought to look different than everyone else's. If our lives are, are living sacrifices, as Paul says in Romans 12, then it ought to look different. 
It ought to look holy. It ought to look sacred. And friends, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it absolutely can. Right? There is power. So it's not just limited to Sunday mornings. And then finally, I would add to that, that a life, that worship is about a life that is lived in full surrender to God. It's an openness to, to, to what God wants to do in our lives because he's always working and he's always moving. And that makes me excited. It, may, it reminds me that this Christian journey, this journey of following Jesus doesn't have to be boring, right? It doesn't have to be stale. Like I can show up excited and hopeful in anticipation of what God might do because he's always moving, he's always working. And so we are aware of that. And so a life of worship is one that is lived in full surrender and openness to God and what he wants to do right here, right now. Now, having said all of that, I do want to acknowledge that today we are specifically talking about worship in this place, right? We are, are hoping to lean into a particular openness to God right here and right now. That is what we're hoping to do today. Worship is not about us. It's about God. I, I want to keep reminding us of that. Last time I checked, God is the only one worthy enough, right? He is the only one worthy enough of our worship and praise. And speaking of, of worthy, I want us to look this morning at Revelation chapter 4. If you want, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles or your Bible apps. It's going to be on the screen too. We're just going to go right into it this morning because we're switching things up, but just to set the stage, Revelation is a tricky book, and listen, it's just to kind of throw this out there and acknowledge, it is not necessarily my comfort zone to preach on like one or two verses, right? Like I like to stick in a, a, a passage. I like to embody a whole passage of scripture. It's not my nature to just pull a few verses here and there and preach on them. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not my style, uh, but today we're going with different, and so we're leaning into it. But in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation is a lot, right? I'm speaking to a room full of Christians, you know this. It's a lot to take in, and there's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there that we don't fully understand, even though we like to pretend we do, right? We love to think that we know exactly what's happening in Revelation, and I'm pretty sure we we, for the most part, just don't. <laughs> but we can read Revelation 4, and John in Revelation 4 is describing a picture for us. He's describing a moment. And this part, it, was, it might be a little overwhelming and sound a little bit uh, like not familiar language to us, but it, it, to me, it's really easy to picture. And in, in Revelation 4, John is, is talking about something that sounds like a throne room. He's, he's picturing this throne room. He's in this throne room. And there's this large, I just imagine there's not enough words to describe what this throne is, but in the center of the room is a throne. And surrounding that throne, John says, is 24 other thrones. And on those thrones, he says, are 24 elders. He's painting a picture for us. 
John's eyes have seen this incredible image, this incredible moment, and what a uh, weighty assignment, what a lofty assignment for John to have to describe this to us. Can you imagine? He's like, I imagine him like, this is hilarious. This has not even come close to revealing what I've actually seen, but he's trying. We can picture, right, there's this throne surrounded by 24 other thrones, and John says that from the throne, the throne in the center of the room, from this throne comes flashes of light and claps of thunder. That reminds us of just, uh, that makes me think it's just over, it's captivating, right? It's overwhelming. Thunder and lightning sometimes happen in the distance, Right, And I I imagine that in this moment, it's not just in a distance. It's right before you. It's right in front of you. It's captivating. It's overwhelming. It's all-consuming. He describes that there are these creatures surrounding the throne. Again, don't think too much about that, but just picture what's happening here. There are these creatures surrounding this throne, and he says, day and night, they never stop saying, They never stop saying. I imagine that there is no way that they can. Some people have a problem with this idea that in heaven we just worship. Like I've particularly teenagers, like self-absorbed teenagers. They're like, why why does God just want us to, like why why do we have to worship him in heaven? Why is that all we're ever going to do? And I'm like, well, I don't know that any of us can safely say we know what we're going to do. But I imagine just by reading this passage, it's not something you have to do. It's not something God requires you to do. It's that when you are in the overwhelming presence of the only one who is worthy to sit on that throne, you can't help yourself. It's what you naturally do in the presence of your creator, in the presence of your savior. How can we not? How can we not? Day and night never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. John is is revealing this picture to us that this is what is happening in the presence of Jesus. He says that as this worship is going on, these elders that are sitting on these other thrones They fall down in worship before him who sits on the throne. Again, how could you not? It's not that you have to, like, let's get the pride out of the way, right? Even if God wanted to order us to worship him all day long, that is his prerogative. He's God. But I don't see this as a demand, as a must. I see it as I can't not worship in the presence of my Savior, my God, And so he says, they fall down before him who sits on the throne. They lay their crowns before him and say, this is the kind of the main passage that I wanted to read this morning, Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. I really appreciate how scholar Kenneth Barker, he describes this passage, this scene, as the response of any person, that this is a natural response to the one and only one who is worthy. 
that this is the response of a people who were created by God, that when they are in the overwhelming, all-consuming presence of God, of King Jesus, their only response as they encounter him is to relinquish their crowns, to release everything and place it in honor at his feet. He who is alone worthy of all glory and honor and power. From this passage, I think we are to gain that, that worship is a response to who God is. This is God, the creator of heaven and earth. Right? You know the story, but it's worth repeating. The creator of heaven and earth who, who created all things. Who has, who has revealed himself in all things. This God who, who has watched his loving creation turn from him time and time again, sinning against him, moving away from him, and he continues to show up in light and in love to his creation, to humanity, to his own people. He continues to reveal himself to his people. This is our God, our creator, who has revealed himself in love time and time again, to a people who would turn, continue to turn away from him, rejecting his ways time and time again. This is God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, who stepped down into creation, who took on the flesh and mess and muck of our world, revealing just how much he loved creation through himself in the body and presence of King Jesus. This is Jesus, God incarnate, who all throughout his life took time to see people, to love people, to heal people, to choose people, to have mercy on people, to lovingly walk alongside and guide people. And this is King Jesus who ultimately laid down his life in love for the sins of the world, demonstrating just how serious he was about love for humanity he and he alone is worthy and eternal and almighty and an appropriate response as seen in this passage is to fall at his feet in humble worship. How could we not? Another passage I thought about this week was Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 through 29. And it's just another image of the presence of God, if one could even describe it, right? But it's just another way of describing being in the presence of a holy, reverent, almighty God. And the author of Hebrews in these verses says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. If you're reading this in your Bible, your, your Bible likely has a little notation at the end of verse 29 that, that would say that, that it's referencing Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. And then that, for the reader, would bring, mind, would bring to mind images of, of when God appeared on Mount Sinai. 
When God appeared at Mount Sinai in Exodus, and it's being spoken about in Deuteronomy chapter 4, when, when God would appear on Mount Sinai, you know this, but it, it's, it's a good reminder that the Israelites could not come close to the mountain, right? They would be consumed, like to death. They would be so consumed by the holy presence of God. We see this throughout scripture. When a mere mortal, when a sinful person, which by the way is all of us, when they find themselves in the presence of God, they cannot bear it. Because our sin and, 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 and everything that we are in the presence of God, it can't stand, right? When Isaiah was in the presence of God, he was suddenly so aware of how holy God was and how unholy he was, Isaiah, right? And so when you're in the presence of God, you're suddenly, your sin and, and your humanity is so evident. And so much so that on Mount Sinai, when God's presence would come and when God was speaking, God's presence was so holy that people would have to stand at a distance because his presence was all-consuming. It was dangerous. It was a dangerous, holy, consuming fire, holy and purifying, and none could withstand. The author talks about this reverence. And this reverence is a holy fear that when one comes near the presence of God, they are suddenly so aware of just how unworthy they are to be in the presence of God. I want you to, for a moment, compare that experience in the presence of God in places like Deuteronomy or Exodus with what we read about in Revelation. Has the God changed? Has the holiness, or the almightiness, if you will, has that of God changed? What changed then? One moment we can't stand in his presence because it's overwhelming, it's all-consuming, we couldn't withstand. In another moment, we are in the presence of God. Friends, that is God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. Jesus, who, who filled in the gap, has invited us to come into his presence. And when we come into the presence of a holy, almighty God, of a Savior in King Jesus, the only thing we can do after recognizing just how holy and, and, and almighty he is and how unworthy and unholy we are, the only response would be to lay down in worship before God or to lift your hands in worship before God, because friends, that is the presence of this God whom we serve. I hope you're following me. I feel like I'm a little all over the place. Friends, I wonder if, if that's true for us. If this love for God or this being in God's presence for us, I, I know that it's, it's different than what it's going to be, I know that it's not exactly now how it's going to be in, in heaven when we are in the presence, the actual presence of God. But I just wonder, is, is it true for us that God's presence is all-consuming? Is it? And I don't ask that question skeptically or, or judgmentally. I genuinely wonder 
Is it all-consuming for us? Do we allow the purifying grace of God to transform our heart and our lives? Are we overcome with thankfulness at all that God has done? Are we aware of this holy ground upon which we stand when encountering the presence of an almighty God? Do we recognize, and if we do, do we acknowledge just how good and holy and righteous he is? And do we respond with thankfulness and adoration and a holy awareness and reverence? Friends, the kind of worship we are talking about and reading about today is all-consuming. It's all-consuming. It should, ideally, when I think of worship, I think that ideally, and it's not always true for me, I'll be the first to admit and to acknowledge that this is not always true for me, but ideally, an all-consuming of worship would begin before you come here into this place, right? Worship has already begun, hopefully, It begins before you come in here. Hopefully it continues to come over you as you enter into this place, ready to worship with the community and the people of God. And hopefully it lasts long after you leave. That's a glimpse at this all-consuming worship and love for God. We don't just give little parts and pieces to God here and there, but friends, worship in this way is all-consuming when you recognize the presence of God in your midst. We've been talking each week about, and this is, I'm going to end with this before we move back into a time of of worship and song, but each week throughout this series, we've, we've tried to get really practical and I want to do that now. I want to just acknowledge some practices of worship, when we're talking about worship, what does it look like, right? There's that famous question that we use all too much, but I think it, it, it's, it's the appropriate question. What does this really look like for the people of God? And, and as I say every week, or if I don't, it should be said that this is not an exhaustive list, right? This is not everything condensed down into to one list. This is just to kind of get us started, that a practice of worship is, is simply focusing on and responding to God with your whole being. Not focused on what's going on around you, right? Not worried about what someone's going to think or what they're doing or what they're not doing or, or what song we're singing or, or how dark it is or how light it is or what instruments are playing or being played, what instruments are not being played. Like the focus of worship is or the idea and practice of worship is focusing on and responding to God with your whole being, and that's it. Another practice is, as we mentioned earlier, offering my body, my life, everything I am as a spiritual act of worship, as seen in Romans 12. Everything I am belongs to God. All of me belongs to God. Everything I do Essentially, I'm worshiping God or I'm worshiping something else with, with who I am and what I do. And I, I, I kind of told myself I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there. In a few hours, people are going to be worshiping a very highly anticipated football game. No judgment. 
Maybe I'm being a little dramatic by saying you're going to be worshiping, but you're, a lot of you are going to be enthralled. You're going to be overcome. You're going to be into it. And listen, I love it. I feed off that energy. Go for it. Don't hold back. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just trying to carefully and respectfully remind us that we do worship things. We do get excited about things. We do spend time on things. I just hope that all these things come second place to living your life in, in, in a, your life being a living sacrifice to the one and only worthy almighty God. Okay, I just had to do it. I'm sorry. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I had to. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to be rooting for the Chiefs, and it's going to be great. I'm going to eat good food. It's going to be great. But just remember who, who gets your worship first. Another practice is responding to God's truth with a loving obedience. This is, uh, comes in response to a holy reverence of an almighty, holy God. We respond to who God is with loving obedience. We live our life according to how God has called us to live. That's a way of worship. Regularly engaging with a worship community. This one is... Uh, we could say so much more about this, and I hope that you don't hear this in the wrong way, because I understand that not everybody is able to physically come in person every week. And for some people, they're homebound. They can't. And I'm also convinced that that doesn't stop God, right? That God is present, and that means that the people of God ought to step up and step into the lives of those who can't be here we ought to embody the presence of God with those in their homes who cannot come here. But there are a lot of people who can be here who choose not to be here. And it's for those that this is directed. That regularly engaging with a worship community is important. Worship can certainly be personal between you and God, but it was never meant to be only practiced individually. Because friends, I don't know about you, but I've seen God move in the lives and on the faces of my brothers and sisters in worship. And I don't, I don't want to trade that for anything. There are days when I can't see him or feel him, when I don't think he's moving or working, but I look to the left or to the right on the faces of friends and I see God, right? And I see, oh, there he is. He's there. He is moving. He is working. And I'm suddenly more aware of God's presence because I am worshiping and participating in community. Worship is not meant to only ever happen in a vacuum. It's always been meant, it's always meant to be done in community. And then finally, another practice is seeking first the kingdom of God. When we gather for worship, that should be our goal. That should be why we gather in worship is to seek first the kingdom of God and acknowledge what God is doing and how God is working and moving and everything else comes second. The type of music, your ideal atmosphere, all of that, that, that does not come before seeking first God's kingdom and being open to how he wants to move. Each week we talk about a God-given fruit. Like, what, what, why is this important? Why does this matter, right? And worship in this way matters because we will see in our everyday lives that we have company with Jesus no matter what. 
right? Living a life of, of, of worship, living a life in worship in response to God means that you are walking in unison with Jesus. And I want that. I desperately want and need that. Worship is fulfilling your God-given God -given longing to adore and praise your creator. Friends, if we don't worship God, creation does. Like creation was, was made to worship God. Again, not because we have to, but because it's, it's, our identity is found in him. How could we not, right? And so if you hold back, if you're not worshiping God in your heart and with your life, then, then creation cries out and creation will worship God because he is worthy and, and his creation cannot help but praise and worship him. In worship, we are meeting with God and we are bringing him pleasure. It doesn't matter how good you can sing, how maybe how pitchy you are. That's me. My biggest fear, I always joke, is that my mic's going to accidentally be turned on when I'm singing and not holding back. My Legit, my biggest fear ever. I'm always checking to make sure it's turned off because I just sing without holding back and it's, it's pitchy. It's not great. But I know that God delights in it. I don't know how, but I know he does. I believe that he does. It's filling your mind and heart with the wonder and awe and mystery of God. This is seen in worship. It's a mystery, right? Like, how can that person worship when they've lost everything? How can that person show up today and worship God when their whole life is falling apart? What do they have to worship God for? It's in those moments that we witness and experience the mystery of God, but the goodness and the glory of God that never stops, even when it seems like things are falling apart. When we worship, we are joining the company of saints in heaven and on earth who continually magnify the Lord, just like John is talking about. When we worship, we are delighting in the Lord and we are living a life of gratitude. When we worship, we are doing our part in growing our relationship with God. Friends, worship is a response. Worship is a response, and when you worship, you are responding, you're doing your part, responding to the love and holiness of God. When we worship, we are growing in our faith. We're growing in hope and in love by basking in the presence of God. When we worship, we are focusing on God, and we taste more of his goodness and worthiness. And finally, when we worship, we are connecting with God anytime we have the opportunity. Doesn't start or stop here, right? It's every moment of every day. And finally, I know it's been a lot this morning, but I'm not going to apologize for that, okay? <laughs> finally, let's, let's talk about flexing this spiritual muscle. How can I experience more of what we're talking about today? And one I would say is, since God reveals himself to us in worship, I think it's important that you, at some point, if you haven't already, make it a regular rhythm. I give you full permission, okay? Make it a regular rhythm to go and worship at a service that's completely different from ours. Visit an ethnic church. Go worship with an ethnic con congregation, an ethnicity that doesn't match yours. Watch how they worship God. Watch how they respond to God. 
And watch what God's going to teach you about himself as you do that. Friends, the way we worship here is, it is what it is. It's, it's fine. If, if it's your legitimate response to God, then that's fine. We're not saying it has to look a certain way, but you need to understand that it doesn't always look this way. And sometimes it's nice to experience something different, right? Because it's, it's the way that God moves, and it's nice to be open to that. And so I would encourage you to do that. Ask God to open you up to seeing him in new ways, right? If you do this, ask yourself, like, what do I sense about these worshipers? And, and do you see anything new about God in their worship? Go visit another service, one that's different, one where you know that the worship is going to look different and see what God shows you. Another one um, is to think of the times. Hopefully you can think back to times when you have been deeply moved in worship. Like, you know, those moments stand out, like all the hair on your arms is standing up, right? You've got goosebumps all over, like God's presence was tangible in a unique and powerful way. Think of one of those moments and then ask yourself, what was happening in your life at that time? What was it that that allowed you to experience God in such an amazing and unique way? What was going on in the worship? Put yourself in places where you most easily connect with God in worship. And then finally, we can write a letter or or not finally, we can write a letter or a song to God expressing our love and honor for him. That's a way of worshiping him. And then this is the final one. Come before God with an open and listening ear. And guess what? We're going to give you an opportunity to practice that in just a moment. Come before God with an open and listening ear. And and either write down or think of the question, what do I value most? And then answer that question. Maybe that'll take some time. Maybe you won't be able to do that right now. But answer This question, and and then to add to that, I would say answer this question from the viewpoint of your kids. If you're really brave, ask your kids, what do I value more than anything? Ask your spouse. Give them permission to be honest, only if you're ready to receive it. Ask your colleagues, your family members, your church community. Most importantly, ask God. And what do you see revealed about yourself? And how might what you worship, how might that need to change? Um, I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And this morning, I want you to hear me. The only agenda or goal that was in mind I want you to really hear this. The only agenda or goal that was in mind as we were talking about how we wanted to structure this service, the only goal in mind is to create an atmosphere for wholehearted worship. That is all we are after today. If you feel something different, that's not from us, right? All we want to do today is to create an atmosphere for wholehearted worship. And yeah, it looks a little bit different. 
But we wanted this to, to be something that we kind of talked about first and acknowledged like what this is and then have an opportunity to come together and respond in worship. And we're going to do that in ways that might maybe challenge us a little bit. Nikki's going to talk more about that as we go through these next songs. But listen, when you're preparing a sermon on worship and when you desire, when you have a hunger and a desire for God to do here, maybe something like what he's doing in, at Asbury College, or you just have a hunger for more of God, I had to reconcile this week that there's nothing I can say or do like, I can't preach a good enough sermon to make you want to worship God in this way. I can't do it. I can't manipulate you. I don't want to manipulate you. I can't put the words together that could make you respond in wholehearted worship to God. But you better believe that I prayed that we would. I prayed that we would just come open and hungry before God and that he would show up in new and powerful ways. I pray that that God's presence for us would be an all-consuming fire, that we just couldn't escape it or get away from it. Like I said, Nikki's going to uh, explain more as we go, but I have one final thing. The kids are going to come in and join us in just a moment. And we wanted to incorporate the children because, for a lot of reasons, but I have to share this with you. Remember last year during Pentecost, or the season of Pentecost, leading up to Pentecost, we did a series called Praying to Pentecost. Do you remember? And, and at the end of the series, I guess on the day of Pentecost, my memory fails me a little bit, there were cards in the back of the seats and you were all invited to write down something you felt like the Spirit was, was speaking to you about. It, was, it could have been a prayer, a burden, something you feel like the Spirit re- revealed to you as we prayed our way through Pentecost. And you were invited to write that down and to turn it in. And I think I collected like seven or so of those, maybe eight. I don't know. But one of them has always stood out to me. One of the, the cards says this to have a children's worship group. Teaching our children to worship God without inhibitions, freely without concerns of what others think. I don't know who wrote that card, but it was on the heart of one of our people in response to praying for six weeks up to Pentecost that our children be invited to worship God openly and freely. And so we're going to invite them to do that today. And I pray that that God would reveal something to us through them, right? So God, we just invite you to continue to move in this place. And God, we open ourselves up to you this morning. We are hungry for you, God. God, would you reveal yourself in an all-consuming kind of way? We love you, Lord. We worship your holy name. Amen. You can stay seated for just a moment. Just give me a minute here. Um, I don't know who wrote that card. I didn't even know about that card. That's awesome. But I want to throw out there, probably what's going to happen most likely is we're not going to teach them anything. We're going to be the students. 
And the reason that I think it's great to have children in worship is because Jesus said that you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven unless you come like a little child. So I think that the purity of a child before they've learned all the horrible things that we learned in our lives growing up into being adults, how the people judge you and it's embarrassing and we, and we think about how we look and what people think about us. And sometimes kids don't have as much of that baggage, so they come to God genuinely. And I love to see that. And I experienced that when I was a kid. And I think it crafted me and how I worship as an adult. So you guys can come in whenever um, the kids can go ahead and come in. I just wanted to share a few things briefly to kind of prepare you for what we're doing here. Um, the first slide that we have here, it says practicing worship. So worship, right, it's not about singing. And it, it's not really about any of the things that we're looking at today. But these are just expressions of worship. Worship happens in the heart. And we know this. It's a reverent act. I, I believe that it's acknowledging our place and God's place. You know what I mean when I say that? Our need for him, devotion, love, gratitude. Singing is one expression of worship. It's easily accessible. We love to do it. It's become the most popular Western expression of worship that we do in almost any church service that you walk into across America. and a lot of the Western world, it's going to be our go-to. But across history and across other cultures, singing is not exclusively the only expression of worship that we can access, that we can use to engage the presence of God. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about looking at worship in a holistic way. So Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and he was quoting from Deuteronomy. We know it. Love the Lord, your God, with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. These words are all symbols that, right, like Pastor Nicole said, it represents our whole selves. So how do we worship with all of us? And I've wrestled with these different words, and, and they're symbolic, and they have all this meaning. But how do we love God with our strength? And there's different ways that we can do that, but it definitely, absolutely symbolizes and involves your body, your physical body. This is where your strength is. So some of you are already really uncomfortable. That's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. But I just want to invite you to just keep an open mind and think about this. When we use our body in worship to God, it's humbling for us. It's also really, a, it's, it helps you better engage because it helps you focus on the presence of God and remove distractions because you're thinking about you're inhabiting your body, right? There's this like lately really popular thing called mindfulness. Have you guys heard of that? It's a proven treatment. It helps with anxiety, depression, managing stress. All mindfulness is, is existing in the present moment. And the number one way that, I mean, look it up as soon as you leave. Don't take my word for it. The first thing that they're going to tell you if you're new to mindfulness is inhabiting the breath. It's, they start with breathing. It's really easy. It's accessible. We all do it. But we breathe without thinking about it. But if you start thinking about it and you're breathing slowly and just... Something about being in your body and thinking about what your body is doing 
pulls you into the present moment and kind of removes all the other things that tend to kind of float around in here. So your body actually can help you focus, engage, be present. It's also really good for you. Like, we know this, right? Movement, it's great for your body and not just like cardio, which is awesome and we should all exercise. And you're going to have an opportunity to do that today. You're welcome. But also, like, are we have any yoga fans in here? Like, even slow movement, stretching, moving your body, this is, like, really good for you. Like, God made our bodies to move, and he made it, like, it's an enjoyable thing. It releases, like, all these feel-good chemicals. Like, it's just like a fully packaged deal of awesomeness that we are, we could be really taking advantage of when we come into the presence of God. So I just want to say that first, this is just an invitation. Like Nicole said, we're not going to press you to do anything. I'm not going to be like what, looking around the room. I'm leaving the lights off. I'm not going to be like walking around being like, who's not doing anything? This is just an invitation. I just want to give you an opportunity to try something maybe that you've done before, maybe you've never done before. Step being out of our comfort zone, humbling ourselves, and ultimately, we have very little, probably really nothing to lose, except maybe a little of our pride. But if I'm right, and using your body to worship God offers you a deeper place of worship, then you have everything to gain. Everything. It's really low stakes today, because we're going to be doing these things as a group. So in the community, it's pretty low stakes, all right? And if you don't like it, don't do it again. You don't have to do it again. So I'm just going to ask you, you know, just this is the question I want to pose. Is it worth the risk? Yes. Maybe you look kind of silly. Maybe you feel dumb. But maybe, just maybe, you actually experience something in worship that is fresh and new and deeper. So that's what we're going to try. We're just going to try it. All right. Really quickly, I want to give you this from the Bible, right? Because everything we do is from Scripture. We're informed by the Word of God. So the expressions of worship, the biblical concept of worship, in Hebrew, the word that they use is shakah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But it's way more fun to say than worship. It actually means to bow down. So Hebrew is a language that uses word pictures and symbols, and it's expressing emotion and experience more than just information. So the word worship, it means to bow down. Other ways that this word can be defined is prostrate, to be prostrate, paying homage, reverence. And it made me think of Second Chronicles 5, you know, when they dedicated Solomon's temple. The glory of God came down and it said that the priests couldn't even get up and do their jobs because everyone was on their face. They couldn't move. It's a, that's just like a little glimpse of what... Pastor Nicole was describing in the presence of God, you can't help but worship him. And in Hebrew, the way that they express the idea of worship is to bow down. I have to remember to switch your slide and my slide. Okay, and the biblical concept of praise, we're looking at both praise and worship. They kind of go hand in hand. They work together. There's a little bit of overlap, which you'll see. It's the word halal. Um, the most common way it's defined is to boast, but when we're talking about those, like, the symbolicness of the language, it actually means to shine, which is interesting, right? I, I, this word is about 
the presence of God actually changing your countenance, right? I put a reference from Exodus 34. Moses comes down from his time on Mount Sinai. It says that he was radiating the presence of God. You know, like, we know this, right? We say, oh, you're glowing. That's the thing that we say when someone's pregnant or in love. That's what this word is kind of expressing, that you're glowing. Other ways to define this word, and I am not making this up. You can look it up yourself. Foolish, to make a fool of. Insane, or to act madly. And rage, to rage. Those are some ways that this word is expressed. So this is very much an active process. This word, the picture that we're seeing here. Okay, so the first practice we're getting here that we're going to do is really accessible, super easy, raising your hands. Some of you guys do this. A lot of you don't. It's okay. I'm just giving you, again, an invitation, an opportunity to try. Anything is okay. Like, you, you just want to, like, keep it really tight in here and open your hands. That's okay. Again, no judgment here. But I just want to invite you to, to consider maybe trying this. There are some ways that we think about raising our hands. You can think about it in terms of as the symbolism. Surrender. We're surrendering to God like, you know, in the movies. We've got a gun. You raise your hands. That's a sign of trust because you are now not able to defend yourself if this person has a weapon. You raise your hands. Then that's, you're trusting that that person's not going to harm you. And you're showing submission to them. So that's what we're doing when we raise our hands. Not that God's, you know, going to shoot us, but... It's just an expression. Humility, and another way to think about it is reaching out. Like a little kid goes up to their parents. They want you to pick them up, and they stretch their hands out. Also, our cat used to do that. It was adorable. (laughs) Just reaching out, reaching out to God. We sang about that this morning. So I'm going to give you a couple of passages, just a handful, really quickly here. Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Psalm 28, verse 2, hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. So see here, there's different emotions being expressed in the same act. The first one is praise. The second one is desperation, even grief, lament. He says, hear my cry for mercy as I cry to you for help. The next one is repentance. Let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. That's from Lamentations 3, 40 through 42. Psalm 63 verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'm just going to take a guess and say that probably people in the temple in Israel, like people would raise their hands when they worship. That's what this is making it seem like. So I chose these songs intentionally so that just to make it accessible, to make it easy, we're going to sing I Surrender All. So we're just focusing on one of these expressions. You can focus on whatever you want. However, whatever you're feeling, you're expressing that to God. This is between you and God. Like Nicole said, it's not about us and it's not about me. It's not because this is something that I want you to do. I just want you to be able to experience the presence of God in a fresh way. So we're going to sing this song. Our practice is that we're going to try raising our hands. Okay? Anything. Anything in here. It's all good. You can stand with us as we sing.
done. Okay. You guys can take a quick seat. I'm just going to give you another opportunity to express your worship. So, spoiler alert, yeah, you probably saw this coming. Bowing down, right? The word for worship in Hebrew. I'm going to say that there is a, a, a range, again, like with the hands of expressing this act, anything from kneeling at an altar, which we do all the time, kneeling at your seat. It can also be like that word expresses being prostrate down on your face, which we saw some of that in that video that Nicole showed earlier this morning. So again, some overlap here. The symbolism of bowing down, we're expressing submission, reverence, humility. We're, we're focusing on God. It's offering our devotion, right? It may be a little odd for us as Americans to think about, but in most countries in the world, there is some type of royalty and people know that when they hear a certain song or they see a certain symbol, they bow down. That's what you do. We, we don't like to bow down to people because, you know, we're American. We don't do that. But that's a thing. For all of human history, there's been this idea, this connection between bowing down and reverence and submission. In Psalm 95, verse 6 through 7, it says, this is a famous psalm, right? Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Psalm 5, verse 7 says, But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. So we're going to sing. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. <laughs> I'm going to make it as easy as possible, and I'm going to move this because I, whoa, sorry about that. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do, and most of this, I do it all the time, so you guys already know that. Again, just an invitation, and I want to express this also. Those of you who are not physically able to bow down or kneel, here's what you can do. Close your eyes. Picture yourself bowing before God. Whatever is most accessible for you, the throne, the cross, Jesus as a man. But you can still take advantage of this opportunity just by visualizing yourself, closing out your distractions, focusing on God, and just picturing yourself bowing before God because worship happens in the heart, right? It happens on the inside. What we're doing out here is just an expression of what should be happening in here. So if that's where you're at this morning, that's my invitation to you. But for those of you who are able, I will invite you at any point in the song, if you want to try this, you can kneel at your seat. You can kneel at these altars. You can bow down. You can Stick your face in the floor. That's fine. We clean these. They're fine. 
We're here to honor God, our King and our Savior. Let's sing this together. You can stand if you're able.
Speed it up a little bit, you guys. This is going to be fun. Some of you might have been afraid of this. <laughs> you know you love me. All right. I'm going to give you in the scriptures where it talks about the expression of worship that is dancing, right? This symbolizes, expresses rejoicing, gratitude, excitement, laying down our ego. One of my favorite quotes about dancing is from King David. You guys probably know it. First Samuel 6, 21 through 22, he says, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. This is a beautiful Thing because David's sacrifice to God is his own dignity. Mm -hmm. The king of Israel, and he says, no, God is more worthy. This is a story about David's wife getting embarrassed because he was dancing. I don't have time to get into it, but if you have questions and think that David was dancing nude, talk to me later. That's probably not what was happening. But he took off his kingly robes he was dancing in a way that was shameful for a ruler to do and he said i don't care god is worthy psalm 149 verse 3 says let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with the timbrel and the harp psalm 150 verses 3 through 5 says praise him with the sounding of the trumpet praise him with the harp and the lyre praise him with the timbrel and dancing Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. For anyone who thinks that the drums are too loud, okay, just want to throw out there now. that Psalm says to praise him with the clashing of the cymbals. So you do it, Bo. You praise him. For praising God, it's not about us. It's about God, and he's glorified through music, through singing, and through dancing. Psalm 30, verse 11 says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. In 1 Samuel 18, 7, it says, They danced as they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They were celebrating a victory in war. They were celebrating God. They were also celebrating David. 
So it's okay, even if Nicole hadn't brought up the game later today, I was going to. Some of us, personality-wise, don't, we don't get very excited about things ever. But some of us do, so just keep that in mind. But even for those of us who don't, there is a place that we can go just to celebrate God, a place of joy. It's anything from just a little bit of swaying. Okay, I'm not asking you to get crazy in here. Just moving your body to the music. Uh, you can see the kids brought some ribbons in with them. So I got these ribbons for these guys. This is going to be your lesson to learn how to celebrate in the presence of God because kids are the best at that. And they have these ribbons so that they can dance. There's more ribbons. If you would like a ribbon, you can have a ribbon. That is a, an accessible way for us Westerners to dance. It's just an invitation to celebrate the Lord, whatever that looks like for you. You guys ready to try this? Okay, I'm, I'm going to be nice. Let me give you one other option. For those of you who maybe don't feel like dancing is super accessible, clapping is also an expression of a lot of the same things, celebration, gratefulness, and respect. Psalm 47, 1 says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. And in 2 Kings 11, verse 12, it says, Jehoiada brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, presented him with a copy of the covenant, and proclaimed him the king. They anointed him, and the people clapped their hands and shouted, Long live the king. They clapped to celebrate their new king, and it's a sign of respect. I know you guys know how, because we did it last week for Carlos. I remember that. So if you don't want to dance with your whole body like I do, that's okay. But you can clap your hands. And just forgive me for that bow, because I know I'm sorry. We probably don't have as good uh, timing as he does. So I just want to close with this. These are expressions of worship. It's more than just singing. So I'm just inviting you to hold nothing back. It's what we talked about all day today. And I want to close with that verse I opened with, Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Amen? Amen. So we're going to sing, and again, I'm trying to make it as easy as possible. So we're going to sing a song that you know, an exciting, joyful, dancing kind of song. All right, let's do it. You guys can stand. the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be. Cause he opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God, he holds the victory. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. 
ought to be a requirement that that's how that song should always be sung. Amen. There's joy. There ought to be joy, tangible joy when we sing that song, and I hope that you felt that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, you are loved. You are loved by your creator, and may you now go in his grace and his peace. May you go and respond with a life of wholehearted, all-consuming worship to the one and only God who is worthy. May you go and be blessed as you leave this place. You are dismissed. Have a beautiful day.